Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome to the Toronto Today podcast, heading into a weekend on October 22nd. Thanks for finding us. We start by talking about the strange case of Alec Baldwin, 68-year-old actor on the set of a new movie. He's producing it. He's starring it. It's a 19th century Western, and there was an accident there, and it led to a fatality. We give you the latest on what we know about it on the show a little bit earlier. We also talk uh, about the Rogers uh, boardroom struggle for control of a massive company, a company that we all know it's very prominent in our lives, and uh, there's quite the fight. And the fact that it involves brothers and sisters and widows maybe makes it more intriguing. Maybe it does. Ryan Imgren, biostatistician on the show, Natalie Preddy on travel, both of air and land. Some changes within the last week that you should know about. And our Fantastic Four debate as to whether you've walked out of a movie or not. I ask that because Dune's coming back out. Not the 1984 movie, but a movie that looks much better. And it's getting reviewed better. And I might go see Dune a second time after the debacle that 1984 was. It's all coming up on the Toronto Today podcast. This Rogers thing. Have you heard about the Rogers thing? Have you seen the headline in the Globe and Mail about it? It's really, really something. Um, and yet, late last night, uh, the idea that this isn't over yet, that Edward Rogers still has a plan, it's utterly, utterly fascinating. Um We'll get into some of the specifics and nuts and bolts of it. We're very happy to have our next guest on. He's the National Academic Director for Rotman School of Management. He is Richard Powers. Richard, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for making the time for coming on the show today. Yeah, good morning, Greg. We've got an unbelievable story here, really. Um, as this started to percolate, uh, did you see it going the direction that it did, where uh, clearly there's some leakage here? Clearly, it's it's not airtight like a lot of major corporations are when there's a power struggle. There, there's people obviously leaking stuff out to the media because they think it benefits them. Well, I think so, and that's, uh, that's part of the story. We would never hear of these things normally, but the fact that it's playing out in the media made it that much more intriguing. When you look at uh, this kind of boardroom drama, um, what does it do for a company that is very front-facing? Everybody knows it publicly. Everybody's got an opinion about either their products or, uh, I'll, full disclosure, I worked for Rogers for a decade. I loved it. I actually I have no axe to grind whatsoever. But I, I would say it is a company that polarizes a little bit uh, nationwide, doesn't it? Well, you know, people have their favorites. And it's Bellas, <laughs> it's Bell, it's Rogers. Everybody complains about their telco, so... I don't think that's anything new, but but you're right. It's as a as a public facing company like that. This really does could do a lot of damage to their brand reputation. But I think in the end, the board got it right. And so the the family dynamics maybe are the biggest thing that make people more intrigued and feel like it's more a soap opera. It's obviously getting reference to the very popular HBO show Succession, which just came back because you see siblings squabble and. Boy, I've seen it in uh, not in my immediate family, but I know that it happens in families that one of the biggest fights you'll ever see brothers and sisters when they get older is about inheritance. It's about money. It's about power, isn't it? Well, that's all these three kind of probably come into play, but it's certainly about power. The chair, Edward, Edward Rogers, the son of the, you know, the founder of Rogers, Ted Rogers, he, you know, he rolled the dice. He, um, what's what's surprising about this, Greg, is that mm. he rolled the dice when he didn't know whether he had the votes at the board level, and he lost. And now he's out his chair. So, in a typical situation where there's a, you know, the, the chair and the CEO have to be best friends. That's the only way it works. And when that relationship sours, somebody is going to lose. And it's typically the CEO because the chair is in constant their position with the support of the board. 
As you mentioned, the family dynamics here worked against Edward. His two sisters, his mother, and a majority of the board said, hold it a second here. We have 100% confidence in the senior management team led by Joe Natale, and we want him to stay. And Edward pushed, and they pushed back, and now he's out. We're pleased to have Richard Powers on, National Academic Director for the Robin School of Management on Toronto today. So I get this sent to me last night. I wouldn't have known about it. Uh, and I get a friend of mine who, you know, is, is kind of has a source within Rogers saying it's not over yet. Edward thinks he's got a play to make. And it's a release um, and it's sent around 1128 Eastern Time last night that Edward Rogers intends to make changes to the board of directors to Rogers Communications. Can he still do that? Does he have the power to do that? Is there still a way back or a, a plan to fight back for Edward Rogers? What do you make of that? It's on uh, globenewswire.com if people want to check it out. Well, normally I would say no, but there's they do have this voting trust, which sorry holds over 97% of the voting shares. He still chairs that trust, but he's got the family members to deal with and an advisory board that has to vote two thirds in favor of any decisions that'll be made. So I don't see how he can do that. Uh, the board is pretty, you know, by moving him to the side, putting in Mr. McDonald, who is the former lead director as chair now, an independent chair, uh, I think his hands are tied. But again, we don't know what are the terms under the trust are, whether they have a, a, a perhaps a vote to vote on other directors onto the board. Normally, he would not have it. He would not have a choice at this point. The board's made their decision. I think it, what it makes it even more intriguing. Also, I, I would argue for uh, people in Toronto, Richard, is John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, used to be a CEO with Rogers. He's still very close with the family, and he chaired in in essence a uh, you know a, 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 a kumbaya meeting for three hours the other night. Some people are critical. Some people say it's a conflict of interest. He's not getting paid by them. He's doing it, I suppose, out of his time. And he says, "I made a promise to the late Ted Rogers that I'd, I'd kind of have some oversight when it came to conflict." How do you view Meritori's involvement with it? Do you just go, well, that's something he's doing, same as he would go to a ball game. If you want to spend three hours doing what you want off the clock, I guess that's okay, or is that that conflict? I don't think it's, I think it's okay, 100%. Mm -hmm. Mr. Tory, I don't think anybody could really criticize the time he puts on the job and, mm -hmm. and the job that he's done for our city. His father before him and John have always been trusted advisors to the Rogers family, and he assumed that position when his father passed away, and I think it's wonderful that he's able to keep that up. And let's face it, it doesn't take a lot of his time. This is an extraordinary situation. And I think it's quite appropriate that he would step in and do what he can to try to, uh, you know, simmer down the rivalries between the family and get the company back on track. So does the noise, last thing I got for you, does the noise get louder or is this sort of it? Does this feel, I know we reference the fact that there's still a last second push, if you will, um, for Edward Rogers to, to maintain control, re remove five board members and install five new ones, all of which are quite older as a matter of fact, but they would be very familiar with the Rogers name and the company. Do you feel like it's, it, this all gets tied up or does the noise grow even, even, uh, even greater? Well, there's a couple of things there, Greg. One is the company's still waiting for approval for the $26 billion takeover of Shaw. Mm -hmm. so that's going to keep them in the, in the press for a while. As far as this issue, I think that's what the board, why the board moved so quickly in removing him as chair. They announced that they were going to put a special committee together to take a look at the governance of the program of the, of the company, and they can still can, can do that. But removing Rogers, I think, was their play to say, listen, that's enough. Here we go. But as you pointed out, Greg, the new season of Succession just started. <laughs>
I, next time we have you on, we'll, we'll cast out the uh, Rogers drama when Netflix picks it up or Amazon picks it up and decides we want 10 episodes of this. If we, if we can get some real boardroom struggles with glasses of water being thrown and doors being slammed, we're all in. Who's turning away from that? No one is. I'll look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Really appreciate the time today. Take care. Bye-bye. Since I had a brunch yesterday, I don't know when brunch starts. I got to the place I was supposed to be at by 1015 and the person I was eating with another fellow morning person who works in radio showed up around like 1028. Apparently his boss made him stay late on a Thursday. Um, But I think I was there for breakfast and he showed up for brunch. I think it literally passed in from breakfast to brunch territory. And uh, and I let him know it. I'm not I I made him pay for uh, my eggs and waffles. I'm not going to tolerate that. Um, So the. the borders are open. We've known that, or they will be open on November 8th. I love that it was supposed to be November 21st. We talked about that, and I said, I got a great, well-placed source in upstate New York. They don't want to do it on U.S. Thanksgiving weekend. They want to do it before. Here's my other guess, and it's a hunch, and it's an educated hunch. They'll get rid of the rapid testing by the end of November. We'll have a month in December where you won't need that rapid test on the way back because that's super controversial. I want to bring on our next guest, and we'll talk about that amongst other travel issues. She is travel expert Natalie Preddy. It's great to have you back on the show. Um, How are you doing? I'm great, Greg. Thanks for having me. When does brunch start? Brunch, you know, that's a tough one. It is. You know what? I think it did go into brunch territory, though. I, I think it went into brunch for you. I think it did. And I, I, I think yeah. 930 is not a brunch unless you maybe oh, no. mix lunch, you know, maybe some lunch and meat and cheese in. Then you look like you're preparing for a brunch, but it's still not time yet. It's only 930 a.m. You know, it's true. I think you once you hit a 10 o'clock, especially a 1030, you're into brunch. But I mean, if you add eggs to anything, it becomes a breakfast item. Right? That's true. That's true. Now, I got a 13 year old that eats like two uh, pieces of pumpkin pie for breakfast. So I don't even know what that is. I'm not. <laughs> We're, we're going to get them tested <laughs> for various for various issues. Not the test everyone else is taking their kid for now. We're going to get them some other no. other tests. Um, it was very quiet yesterday uh, when Canada says, OK, we're going to, you know, we're going to uh, lift. In essence, not what a, what a travel ban is, but the suggestion that you not travel unless it's absolutely necessary. Patty Haidu was on with Mercedes Stevenson a couple weeks ago on the West Block, and she said, well, remember, we're still under a travel advisor. And people are like, what? You guys th- flew all over the place for your federal election. Uh, you know, people are traveling again. You're seeing it. It was kind of quiet yesterday when they just lifted the advisory. Oh, it was very, very quiet. So, I mean, the advisory is um, if you are vaccinated, then you can travel um, for non-essential purposes. If you are not vaccinated, um, it's still a non-essential travel advisory. So they're hoping that by quietly saying that, um, they are urging more people to get vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I think that as well. There's that sort of, you know, to be honest, and I'll go in a different direction. When we talk about acquired immunity, um, that's something that, you know, you hear a lot of doctors and epidemiologists talk about it. I understand why people, you know, government people can't talk about it and maybe even public health can't talk about it. They don't want anyone to think, hey, I'd be good. I don't need a vaccine. No, you should get the vaccine anyway. But it's not like it's not a thing that once you've had covid, you've built up antibodies. Of course, that's true. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that it's a chicken and egg game a little bit, but they can't they can't tell you that. Yeah, some of you have acquired immunity because, yeah, you're right. They want everybody vaccinated. And I don't blame them. Exactly. No, exactly. And and I mean, we have and with the announcement yesterday of the um, 
the the vaccine passport that Canada is is going to have by the end of the month. You know, they're really high, they are really really saying at this point, no, you can't even get on a flight or a train uh, within Canada if you are not vaccinated. Um, as of October 30th, that's going to start. It's going to be a grace period for a month, but by November 30th. That's it. You, if you want to travel internationally, if you want to get on a plane uh, or a train, you have to show your proof of vaccination. In your mind, you're a veteran traveler uh, and you travel with your family. How, how late are they getting to this or are they not necessarily getting to it late because we've been limited? We've been we've been trying to grow our confidence. Obviously, the land border is still closed to us. Uh, is this about right on time or, or could this have been really helpful for for people who want to travel via plane uh, a couple months ago? You know, I think uh, based on the way we've seen Canada um, open their borders and, you know, especially here in Ontario, how slow we've been at at opening, uh, lifting restrictions and uh, capacity restrictions, that sort of thing. I think we're about um, on time. I mean, will this help in terms of travel? Uh, I don't really know for the industry itself, for for airlines, they really have a lot to do um, in instilling more customer confidence. And I think that's really the issue. You know, even if this was lifted six months ago, would would people, especially in Ontario, be comfortable to get on a plane? I don't know. And and I think what it comes down to um, really is, how comfortable is the customer? And that's something that the airlines and the tourist industry is going to have to prove um, vaccination aside. You know, are, how can I show you um, that it is safe to get on this plane? Um, and one way, of course, is, you know, everyone has to be vaccinated to, to get on, which is a, is a step in the right direction. Um, and, you know, I think for Ontario specifically and for Canada and how conservative we are, I think it's, it's about on time. Natalie Pretty is our guest on Toronto Today. You can find her uh, blog, by the way, her website, nattyponline.com. I'm going to ask you something anecdotally, if you're hearing this or even feeling this in your own um, you know, heart and mind. I think people are, they may have confidence with COVID. They may be fully vaccinated. They'll have maybe fully vaccinated kids or they've got an opinion that their kids are not going to have a bad outcome. They can have all that. What I think people worry about with getting on planes, and you talk about consumer confidence, is just making sure there's not, for lack of a better term, a crap show when they get on there. Because we're seeing videos, right? We're seeing videos of people not being compliant about masks, arguing with flight attendants. It, it gets aggressive. It gets it gets too, it just gets to be too much. Now, I don't know if that's happening more or whether TV networks are just showing that stuff more and we're video. Now everybody's got a video camera at their disposal. Maybe this happened 20 years ago, but we didn't see as many problems. What do you What do you think about that? I think that, as you said, you know, everyone has a camera. Of course, we're going to highlight um, those sort of issues. But um, from what I've seen and from what I've heard, there tends to be not that many people that are not complying. Um, the airport, I, you know, I flew uh, last month. I flew internationally. The airport isn't still isn't busy. My flight was not very busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone seemed to, I mean, it's so expensive to fly now as well. You know, you've added the PCR test, so, um, which, you know, you're looking at $200 if you want to get back in the country to, to have that molecular test. So the people who are, who are paying the money and are making that extra effort going through these extra measures to fly tend to want to get there safely and get to their destination safely. 
Um, and I, I haven't really heard of or seen a lot of people that are, are, are causing issues. I think the majority mm-hmm. of people just, you know, want to get on with things. And I mean, there's always be that 1%. Yeah, there will be, or, or hopefully 0.1% or 0.0.1%. You know, hopefully we evolve as a society and, uh, and have a lot more respect for, uh, for each other. And, uh, and we get a little kinder through this. I hope so. I know we're all fried. I know we're all exhausted from, you know, restrictions and regulations and, and being told what to and what not to do, but I hope we get there. I want to ask you quick about the land border. Um, you know, it, it sounds simple to me that they open it up. We celebrate, we think, well, that'll be great. I want to go to Michigan. I want to go to New York state. I want to see and do things I haven't been able to to do when the added um, emphasis of a rapid test on the way back gets brought up. Some people are like, you know, slow, slow your roll. I'm not going to go until they lift that restriction. Is that what you're hearing from people? That people may go, they're going to go if they're snowbirds and drive their car down and stay for four months. They don't mind worrying about a test four months from now. Maybe it's gone by then, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of weekend travel or travel to a sports event or a concert in a one day thing. If you've got to pay for an expensive test on the way back, what, how do you read it? Yeah, that's what I'm seeing as well. We're seeing less of the, the you know, two nights, three days, you know, sort of trips just because um, it is so um, difficult to get back now, you know, to find somewhere where you can get the test done in the right amount of time. And, you know, within 72 hours, well, that's your entire trip, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you could end up spending your whole time wandering around New York looking for somewhere to get uh, the correct testing to get back in the country. Um, it would be nice if, uh, we could get rid of those, um, uh, you know, the PCR testing, um, you know, cause you can buy a rapid test in, in the States at a store for $30. Um, but of course we need the molecular one to get back in, in the, back in the country. But I think when we look at people who are fully vaccinated, um, we've dropped the, uh, quarantine. I, I think we're probably, I mean, I'm not a public health person, mm. um, but, uh, but of course I think, we aren't going to see those trips, weekend trips to New York, weekend trips to Chicago, until we we drop that test coming back in. It's just it's just mm. not going to happen. But I, do I think it's it's far away? No, I I don't think so. Um, and it'll be nice to be able to do those things again. Hundred percent. Hey, I loved having you on the show, and I'm a big fan. Thanks very much for doing this for me uh, and our listeners. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Greg. You too. Okay, Natalie Preddy. Uh, you can find her blog nattyponline.com. We'll- all right, Ryan Imgren, biostatistician, uh, with a breakdown of some of the good numbers, any numbers of concern. That's coming up in a couple of minutes from now. Let's check inside the newsroom, see what Dave Bradley's working on for the rest of the morning. Hey, Dave. I, we're actually just getting some news in. Police have charged the driver of that minivan in that crash in Scarborough that killed a 17-year-old pedestrian earlier this week. Girl was crossing on a crosswalk on Tuesday near Birchmount Collegiate. That's Birchmount and Danforth when she was struck. The 40-year-old driver of the minivan did stay on the scene. Police have now charged her. She's facing a count each of careless driving causing death, not turn in safety as well. Unless you own a restaurant, you probably didn't even know we're in stage three of the Rio opening plan still in Ontario. That's the one that limits capacity in restaurants and gyms to 50%. It's been making it tough for those owners to make a living. Stadiums and arenas have been able to sell out for a couple of weeks now. Restaurants have been told to wait. Until now, the Premier will make an announcement at 2 o'clock outlining the roadmap for emerging from Stage 3 could mean lifting those restrictions. And how does something like this even happen? That's what police are trying to figure out after actor Alec Baldwin fired a prop gun on the set of a film in New Mexico. But something went wrong, and the director of photography was killed. The director of the movie sent to hospital with injuries. 
Baldwin could be seen outside the sheriff's office in tears. Production of Rust has been put on hold indefinitely. Yeah, massive story that uh, a lot of people are waking up to, given the uh, gravitas and the uh, well-known nature of uh, of Alec Baldwin. Uh, and, uh, of course, 2 o'clock today for these remarks from Doug Ford, Christine Elliott. So we're busy. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let's uh, shift it to Ryan Imgrind, uh, our friend, our biostatistician. He joins us every single Friday. It's great to have you on. So we're going to make a quick move today, aren't we, towards, I guess, what the future of COVID-19 looks like. You're expecting, as I am, increased capacity, restaurants, bars, gyms. We've talked about it a couple months ago. Once we started getting so heavily vaccinated uh, in groups and, and in cities, Ryan, um, that made those occupations and, and those places safer to be any concern whatsoever on your part about increasing capacity in any of the three no i think as long as we still have these vaccine passports in play in these venues which we do increasing capacity in these venues has next to no issue not only are we seeing decreasing numbers here in ontario but we've got to keep in mind that still dominantly the numbers that we are that we are seeing are in the unvaccinated population so allowing the vaccinated population to access these venues in much higher capacity, well, it still has some risk, is such a negligible risk that I don't think increasing capacity is going to have any significant impact on COVID-19 numbers here in Ontario. We're 11 days out um, from Thanksgiving Monday, basically two weeks from a holiday weekend. I mean, obviously, people might get together Saturday, Sunday. Um, you documented the other day, not only was there not an uptick, but numbers dropped. Again, this this speaks to we're very well vaccinated. We sure know how to risk mitigate. And the knowledge and, and, and you know, I guess, muscle memory that we're building up with what to do and what not to um, just seems patent obvious, doesn't it? It does. And actually, Thanksgiving weekend was literally the first weekend, long weekend that we've ever had where we haven't seen a reproduction value above one. And that's how many secondary cases are caused by one primary infection. Um, and it's just something that we see when we see people who travel from region to one region, we see cases go up. But once again, when you have a dominantly vaccinated population, um, and you have testing capacity, you have the ability to contact trace for cases here in Ontario, then you're able to stop those cases from actually transmitting. And I'm shocked, you know, not just that we didn't see cases go up. I expected maybe a small uptick. Worst case, I expected cases to plateau over Thanksgiving, but we actually saw cases go down. And I think that's actually remarkable. And it's why we do need to increase capacity for other venues right now. You did a fantastic chart documenting uh, Scotiabank Arena. Holds about 20,000 people. There's the people obviously paying to be there, uh, regardless of what we think of Raptors ticket prices right now. You and I could have a separate conversation about that, as could all our <laughs> listeners. But but either way, it's about 20,000 people in there when you count staff and, and ushers and executives, et cetera, et cetera. You point out in a chart that there might be six people out of 20,000 that could pop COVID-19 positive with a test. How do you come up with that number? Yeah, so basically I'm looking at the number of active infections um, that are in the Toronto area population. So really what it comes down to is that we have about eight to nine the cases of COVID-19 per 100,000 people. Um, and then we also have to know that we only really detect about 40% of cases we also need to know that the cases are infectious for approximately 11 days. Mm -hmm. So using all of that information in a crowd of around 20,000 people, you can expect around six cases. Now, it's like possible that you may have slightly more, you may have slightly less, but the most reasonable probability is six. And 
you got to keep in mind you're the like area of the arena you'll be in you won't be around 3500 people and even if you were directly around those 3500 like individuals mm-hmm. the individual with covid-19 is vaccinated and you're vaccinated so that's just the chance of being around someone with covid-19 not actually transmitting it to somebody else is that how you look and say like schools i i've used the phrase schools are succeeding in spite of themselves in spite of what isn't there in terms of safeguards i look at high schools and i think a heavily vaccinated population of of teachers and support staff we know that uptake is well over 90 percent and if you've got 65 let's say you've got two-thirds of 14 and 15 year olds in a classroom of 20 people vaccinated um and and we know we just know that we can again have some conversation about whether kids do indeed spread and shed and transmit the virus of course they do but if everybody in that building and everybody sorry everybody in that classroom is either vaccinated or asymptomatic um it 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 puts parents a little more at ease doesn't it it does and let's not forget too that um the dominantly parents of these kids they're also vaccinated too Mm -hmm. so when you have almost every single person around these kids either vaccinated or able to get vaccinated, what you may see is you may see the cases transmitted within a classroom from one student to the next, but they're not going to go anywhere in that situation because we have everybody surrounding them heavily vaccinated. And I think that's why that 5 to 11 vaccination, if we get there, um, is you know really the end game, at least for COVID-19 here in Canada. Not that we don't see it again, it just means that we need to move on to see what else we can do to keep numbers low, but allow us to get back to some resemblance of normal. So I'm going to go there with masks in schools. You and I talked about it in July. I think my my 13 year old got fully vaccinated. And I said, this is what I'd love to see come Labor Day. And you said, I, lo- I remember you said to me on Twitter, um, I like all your ideas. We got to hold our horses on masks for September. And you were right. And you still are right. Do you see an off ramp? Do you see a point in time? Could you isolate it where you say we, we've given the five to 11s that that window? Perhaps we've got kids mandated in schools to have a vaccination. Do we get to a point where by April and May, a fully vaccinated 12 year old, nine year old can go to class with masks optional? Or is that something that I worry we'll wait until the fall for? How do you view it? Yeah, it's interesting because I think what we saw, at least from the government here in Ontario, is that we did have masking, um, you know, that wasn't optional in basically grade one and up. And if you look at the age of grade one and up, that's basically five and up. So that five and up population will have had access to the vaccine. And I think once you give them access to the vaccine, you give them a few months for them to get that first dose in, second dose in, that second dose to become activated, that should be that should lead us to a situation going into as early as maybe even March that we may be able to remove masks inside of classrooms. Um, and we got to keep in mind it is normally March and April where we see numbers go down typically. We didn't this year because of the Delta variant, but it is typically when we start to see numbers go down because we see people move to outdoor venues and other things like that. So we could definitely mm. in March have that conversation about removing masks because at least we've given everyone a fighting chance to get the vaccine. If mm. they're choosing not to get the vaccine at that time, that's them. That's their own risk profile. Mm. 
Yeah, and that, and I think that's why I struggle. It's it's the one point I struggle. I'm like I don't struggle about it with healthcare workers, teachers, cops. I don't people that I work with in my building. We're grown up adults. I do struggle. I wonder if you do with forcing a parent to say, "I have a six year old with no comorbidities. They're perfectly healthy. Um, I'd like to I'd like to be patient and and not necessarily vaccinate them yet." Hey, I would vaccinate my six year old. That's me saying that. You might as well. But it's the one part of a mandate, Ryan, I really struggle with. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's interesting. I'll be honest. I don't think we're going to see a mandate in schools. Um, it you know, seems to be more of a hotter issue in the 11 and under population. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm strongly for a mandate in the 12 and up population. Mm-hmm. We've rolled out this vaccine to enough people that um, like come this upcoming September, we could definitely make that one of the nine or 10 mandatory vaccinations. Um, It may be a little bit more of an issue with the five to 11 population. We may need some more data coming in before we can make that recommendation, but I'm strongly for a mandate for the the 12 and up or grade seven and up population to get that vaccination of the COVID-19 because we can't forget over time, we may see antibodies drop a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. in the next six months, one year. And we need to make sure that we don't have COVID-19 come back and ravish us again. And the way to do that is to ensure that students in our schools, at least grade 12 and up, are vaccinated. Last thing, you've been vocal, um, uh, aggressively so, and I think people appreciate that about um, people denying that the virus is airborne. You've done that. Uh, Dr. David Fisman, who obviously we've had on a ton, one of one of the first people we put on, um, has said that. And listen, none of us have been right about everything, but this just seems to me to be a no-brainer. Um, I, I, I beg the media every day when they have the Doug Ford, Christine Elliott, Dr. Kieran Moore sessions, as there's another one today at 2 o'clock. Ask them if COVID's an airborne virus. That question never gets asked of our politicians. It doesn't even get asked sometimes of our public health officials. Why is that? And that's what I don't understand. And I think it's been especially troubling this last week when we've had both Niagara Health and also Public Health Ontario like come out and speak out against superior masks and saying that hand washing is the way to get COVID-19 cases down. We're October 2021 and we're making these bold public statements that are wrong they're just downright wrong but by you know some individuals that last year have supported airborne transmission they haven't retracted their papers they still strongly feel that airborne the transmission does not happen here in ontario and that's what gives these larger organizations a leg to stand on when they make these like comments that aren't backed by science that COVID-19 is not airborne. It's extremely irresponsible, but the individuals Mm. who strongly put that notion out there last year have remained silent on the issue. We'll leave it there. Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Ryan. That was good. Take it easy. See ya. It's great to have you in. We have a ton to do today. We really do. Um, Lots of reaction already to what will happen today with a potential announcement. It's expected from the Premier Doug Ford and the chief medical officer, Dr. Kieran Moore. The last big announcement for them was about three weeks ago. Um, capacity was expanded. I want to say four weeks ago, actually, maybe four weeks ago today. Capacity expanded out for stadiums uh, and arenas. They went to 30,000 for the Blue Jays. They went to from 15. They went from 9,500 or so for some of the Raps and, and Leafs preseason games to full houses at Scotiabank Arena. It wasn't lost on me. I'm not sure it should be lost on you that you could have a fully vaccinated child at, 
you know, the Raptors game on Wednesday night against the Washington Wizards. Admittedly, not a ton to cheer about, not a ton to scream about. But that kid would barely have to wear the mask. And then the next day, yesterday, he's in school for fully vaccinated, asymptomatic, good to go, danger's over. And he's wearing a mask for six, seven hours in school. I won't go deep as I did yesterday or as deep as I did yesterday into the concept of off ramps for school. People say, Greg, we're not there yet. I know that we're not. That's not what an off ramp is. Hey, I'm going to leave on a trip. Okay, but don't take that first exit. I'm not talking about taking the first exit, but I know when I am taking the exit. I have a plan in place to get off the highway at a certain point and get to my destination. And today is another step forward to get to our destination. And I don't even think it can be described as long awaited for where restaurants, bars, and fitness centers have been. It has been just a a, a road littered with inconsistencies, littered with uh, hypocrisy, littered with, there's a lot of litter happening, littered with a lack of understanding about the virus spread in some of the policies, not always, but certainly recently. Look how long that small businesses were closed for. Look how long that storefronts suffered. Have you still driven along um, Bloor Street? Have you driven along King Street West? Have you driven along the Danforth? You still see it. There are signs of life once again. It looks different. But when you see four, four stores, four retail stores shuttered in a row, it's a bad feeling. I hate it. I and and yet I want to I don't want to turn away from it. I want to understand the human and professional tragedy that has occurred here. And I'm not sure it had to. I'm really not sure it had to. I think we're going to look back retrospectively on a lot of things. We can't just move on. Ah, well, we made a mistake. Let's move on. Are we doing that with long-term care? No. No, we're trying to evaluate what we did wrong, how we put people in peril, what the living conditions were like. And the goal is never, ever to let it happen again. But shouldn't we take that same tact with businesses? And shouldn't we take that same tact with closing down restaurants? I'm all for it. A year ago at this time, eh, maybe 13 months ago, I'm not sure about restaurants and bars and the spread of COVID-19. And pre-vaccination, I do think they were problematic. Fitness centers were a different story. I kept hearing people say, you talk about uh, inequality. And how gyms and fitness centers and, you know, spin class studios, they're not all created equal. They don't all have the same ventilation. They don't all have the same guidelines and and limitations for capacity. But it just felt like gym's not safe, as in G-Y-M-S, the apostrophe in the end. Gyms aren't safe. Well, what gym are we talking about here? Yeah, if it's a sweaty little wooden rectangular box where there's 15 spinning bikes and an instructor and no one wears a mask and it's poorly ventilated, you got me. I'm with you. If it's a brand new gym with, you know, 90 foot high ceilings, I never know how high a ceiling is, but let's say tremendously high ceilings, like a high school gym, and you're uh, and you and you've got vaccinated people there exercising, vaccinated healthy people exercising. Um, you are a lot safer than the uh, sweat box of the spin cycles and spin bikes that I described. So today, an announcement will come that Monday, Monday will be the day that limits start getting lifted. And we really do. I, I, I know there's people out there that have said, what can I not do now? What is there that I can't do? There's still risk mitigation tactics. 
And though I talk about masks in schools potentially coming off at some point in time, no, we still need to wear masks in crowded environments. We need to wear masks where other people um, have some vulnerabilities. We absolutely do. Um, restaurants, it seems a bit silly. You're eating in there. It's an airborne virus. You're eating and drinking. Gyms feel a bit silly. You're working out. You're exercising. You're exhaling, inhaling. It's an airborne virus. That seems a bit silly also to have them off on a treadmill, walk six feet to uh, to another machine or something or go to go stretch and that you need the mask for that six feet or that 12 foot walk. You get that that's ridiculous. I think we're all there now that it's ridiculous. And right now and probably for the future, and I'd say I've been there for a bunch of weeks, spare me that it's some kind of a symbol that well, I'm just showing that I care for everybody. You're, you're showing you don't understand how the virus works is what you're doing more than anything else. Gyms have been limited to 50% capacity since they got to reopen in July. There have been no signs of outbreaks, no signs of, of gyms needing to close, no signs of protocols not being followed. The gym I, I go to, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that they can go from 50% to 100. I hope it increases. I hope it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing and it increases consumer confidence. I think we need that. So I'd ask you at 289-975-1640 what you're looking for from an announcement from the province today. What are we still missing out on? If we open restaurants full bore and we open gyms full bore and limits are restricted there, honestly, what's next? Remember what a dark winter it was. Ski hills closed. Only province to do that. And none of the 50 states did that. Ontario was the only place to suggest that COVID could somehow be a problem on a ski or snowboard hill. I'll never, ever understand Never, ever understand the lack of scientific uh, and, and virology understanding behind that. Never in a million trillion years could someone explain that to me. Uh, we were obviously the only province in the spring to golf, tennis, pickleball, all these sports. And I was explaining this to somebody yesterday, and you may be hearing it for the ninth time, but you may be hearing it for the first time. But I think it's, if it's the ninth time, I think it's worth reemphasizing. The concept was, well, we got to limit mobility. We got to limit where you're going from point A to point B. But mobility means nothing if you're getting out of the car and taking the right steps and risk mitigating. And people would say to me constantly, hey, is this about you? Is this about you wanting to play tennis, about you wanting to play golf? And I'm like, well, partly yes. You are allowed to be selfish at some point in your life and say, this is good for me. It helps my mental health. It helps my physical health. It helps keeps me, keeps me fit, keeps my heart pumping. But I wanted it for my father. I wanted it. I wanted my 78-year-old dad to be able to play golf. He'd been waiting all winter. I want my kids to be able to play sports. I want your kids to be able to. I want good news. I want good stories. I want overall health. And we were limited on that front from the science as well. I don't think we're going back to any of that. I get a text message from a guy who says, well, you know, 50% of schools will be closed by February. Buddy. You can think that there's no basis for it. There's no basis for worst case scenario logic anymore. It doesn't, it, it just doesn't phase me. I think it bounces off most people. You don't even get upset. You just kind of, it's a little like when someone gets you off in traffic, cut, cuts you off in traffic. You're going to, you can do two things. You can get mad. You can rage out. You can, you know, flex your muscles, your blood pressure and go up or you just laugh and go, what an idiot. And that's, that's the only thing you can do right now with, Hey, we're going to have a really, really unsafe fall. 9,000 cases around the corner. 9,000 cases a day. It's coming. This is going to happen. There'll be so many breakthroughs. You can only do so much. You roll your eyes and you go, hey, wrong is wrong. We've all, we've all been wrong at times. We've all made mistakes. Maybe not thinking 
that we'd have 22 times the cases that we currently have now? Maybe not that. Maybe not thinking our healthcare system would get flooded again. And as we know, all this exposed was our healthcare system was troublesome. Not because of the people, by the way, not because of the great people, uh, the doctors, the nurses, the hims, the hers that have been there for us the entire time, who I don't blame them for rolling their eyes when we're banging pots and pans instead of actually doing the proper things to keep them safer and and advocating for higher wages and better working conditions and and shorter shifts. We should be doing that instead of banging pots and pans. Um, But either way, um, the worst case scenario just isn't around the corner. It's only good things ahead. It's just a question of when. It's not if, it's now when. All right, have you ever walked out of a movie? The reason I bring this up, I almost walked out of the original Dune in 1984. Uh, I saw it, I think, over Christmas holidays in seventh grade. Um, There's a new Dune out today. Here's a clip, by the way, really fast. This is Kyle McLaughlin. You'd remember him from Twin Peaks. He's on Sex in the City as Charlotte's husband briefly. He was having impotency problems. Why's everybody... <laughs> Right, Sheba? He was, right? He was. Uh, he was. A lot of the problems with the baby-making uh, thing that was happening there. Here's Kyle McLaughlin. I don't understand how he didn't win an Oscar for this. This is kind of basically the premise of Dune and the kind of dialogue that existed. Don't try your powers on me. Try looking into that place where you dare not look. You'll find me there staring back at you. Yeah, I mean, try to have Daniel Day-Lewis or Tom Hanks come up with that kind of acting. It's impossible. Uh, Nobody could pull it off. So let's go around the room. Um, Who's walked out of a movie? Dave? You know what? I never have. I've thought about it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, there was one, it was actually a Ken Reeves movie, uh, at one point. And <laughs> Speaking I, of great Academy Award uh, worthy yeah, actors. I, I, I know. And I, instead of walking out, I think I just fell asleep and somebody woke me up right at the end. I was like, uh, that was not so bad. Sheba, that sigh made you suggest that you are a Keanu Reeves stan, as the kids say. Oh, yeah. As the kids say, oh, yes, absolutely. I love him. He's a fantastic actor. Well, I've never walked out of a movie. No, he's, he's unbelievable. I stand by that. You think he's hot. You don't think he's a fantastic <laughs> actor. Let's call I, a spade a spade look, here. he has, no, he has this brooding, mysterious character that he plays in every role. And I remember, Wait. I think I fell in love with him in, in Point Break. You guys remember Point Break? I love Point. I will defend Point Break as Johnny Utah, the former uh, college football quarterback. And Patrick Swayze in that. I will defend yes, that movie, yeah. that was, I think that's when it, it all changed for I'm me. I'm not a Bill and Ted guy, so that's why... I yes. probably, you know, he loses me. And his fake English accent in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I yeah. saw in theaters. You're doing <laughs> scenes with Gary Oldman, who should have won nine Oscars by now. Your name's Keanu Reeves, and that guy next to you is Gary Oldman. Like, you don't want that. You don't want to be compared to that yeah, guy, exactly. acting-wise. Rob, what about you? Out in a movie? And then we'll get shoes No, never. Never. You stick with it. Only time I walked out as, as a projectionist, so I wasn't actually watching it. <laughs> Did you quit your job? Is that what no, happened? No, no, no. I just mean like I had to go in and check on the theater itself and oh, okay. then walk out, like just doing the rounds. Right? Yeah. Anytime you see somebody walking, you assume it's to take a little kid to the bathroom yep. or it's or it's one of those employees who's like checking the lighting in the actual uh, cinema. So Sheba, it's, and it's tough. We've all seen so many bad kids movies and we want to walk out. The Peanuts movie, they did one of those like five, six years ago. And I wanted to go so badly, but you can't you can't pull your kids by the hand and go, this is boring, son. Let's get out of here. No, they e- love it. Ever you come close for out. you? No, uh, I've never walked out of a movie. Some movies that I absolutely hated. Remember Gigli? You oh, saw that, that was, in theaters? Yeah. I think I did. Yeah, because, you know, it was J-Lo and Ben Affleck. I'm like, okay, let's go see this. It was horrible. <laughs> and you know a movie that I actually hated that was pretty popular? Beetlejuice. 
Yeah, there's some people that aren't in, into the Beetlejuice. I've, I I don't think it's as great as uh, as some people say. And I love Michael Keaton. I'll see yeah. Michael Keaton in anything. I like that. I've watched it again. Uh, it, it comes up on TV, especially this time of year, right? They, they show it, so be, you know, going through the channels, yeah. and it's like, well, that's not a bad movie, and I'll sit and I'll watch. So the one I, I did walk horrible. out of, so I didn't walk out of Dune at age 12, but I went with a girlfriend to see Bonfire of the Vanities. So There's something about great best-selling books that they can't translate to movies, but it's Tom Hanks and it's Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver, and it was so horrible. Like, it's still one of the worst-rated movies ever, and we, we left. It's I've never even heard of this movie. But you've heard of the book by Tom Wolfe, Bonfire of the Vans? Really? You've never no. heard of this movie? Yeah, it's a, no, it's a pretty Bonfire popular movie. It was a big no. movie, yeah. yeah. So was the book. Well, no. Ben Bobby, Affleck and J-Lo were in movie. it. So it was <laughs> a terrible movie. I got a guy texting me saying he walked out of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What? I, I can't respect what? this. Oh, no way. No. Is, this a, is this our average no. listener? A guy that would walk out on Ferris Bueller? <laughs> I'm not impressed by this I mean, I got to say, it's kind of an overrated movie. Oh, oh Rob, come on. caused a lot of problems today. <laughs> One of the best movies ever. It's still quoted ever. to this day. Simmer down. Um, <laughs> Mike writes, I didn't go to the theater, but I only made it 10 minutes into Dude, Where's My Car? Yeah, I'll give you that. That's uh, Why would you even go into that one? That's that's the question. Like, but, Why did you think that this might be an acceptable movie to watch? But now we have this home thing where don't you guys find you present to your partner, spouse, whomever, a, you're like, you'll like this show, and 15 minutes in, you start to realize that they don't like it. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a kind of that weird feeling. You're like, do I shut it off? Are they going to leave the room? Am I absolutely wasting my wife's time here with the show that I thought she'd like? It's a you really got to be discerning point. about that. We're at the point in our house where we just know. I know, like he's not going to watch. You know, there are certain things he just won't bother. I'm not going to put him through that. I wouldn't even ask him. And there are certain things he knows. Just don't even come to me with that. And then when we do come together for like a show like Succession or something where we both love it, it's magic. I love, that's a great point. I love Billions, and my wife gave up on it three and a half yeah, seasons in, too. and I'm not sure I talked to her for about a week after Horrible. that. It hurt my feelings that she bailed on Billions. Yeah, my husband watches Billions too. I can't get into it. It's so boring. <laughs> oh, well, great minds think alike. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We really do appreciate it. We hope you have a great weekend. Back with a live show Monday morning, 5.30 to 9. You can find us on the Radio Player Canada app. The Radio Player Canada app's great, by the way. I don't get an extra dime for saying that. A couple nickels, but that makes a dime. Uh, and you can check us out at the Radio Player app and as well at 640toronto.com. Have yourself a great weekend.